Good morning. Thank you, Josh. Um, let me get settled here a little bit. I told Josh I feel a little bit like Willy Wonka hobbling up here, but um, I'm not going to do a somersault. All right. So, like Josh said, many of you know me. Um, you know my name, you know my face. Um, a lot because you've been praying for me and for Corey uh, for going on to the Kenya mission trip this summer. Um, I can tell you that visiting Kenya was an amazing experience for me. I thank you all for your support, for your prayers, for your donations, for all of the hacks and tips and um, the care packages I got to take with me and give to some of the students that you sponsor. Um, thank you all. I really do appreciate it. I will be sharing a little bit during my message um, about my experiences in Kenya and specifically one person I met there whose story really touched my heart and ties into my message today. And if you're thinking about going to Kenya or on an international mission trip or any mission trip, I definitely encourage you to take that step because it's definitely worth it. Um, saying yes to Kenya was pretty easy for me. Um, I kind of knew that I always wanted to go on an international mission trip at some point in my life. So saying yes was kind of a no-brainer. Um, I try not to shy away from too many things, and I like to consider myself as someone who's always up for an adventure, and sometimes it doesn't go so well for me. But um, I try to say yes to those kinds of things. But being up here on this stage today um, with this microphone on my face, this is my do it scared moment. Um, this is what I shy away from. So um, my friend Lisa, who I'm also going to tell you about, later in my message, always tell me to do it scared. Not to prove it to myself that I can, or to prove it to you that I can, but because if God leads you to it, he's going to see you through it. Um, and so here I am today to share with you a message God put on my heart called Longing for Belonging. But before we dig in, let's start in prayer. Dear God, I thank you for today and for this opportunity to worship you, our Heavenly Father, as your family. I just pray that you would um, settle my nerves, um, give me a clear mind and the words to speak, even just to one person here today listening. I ask that you would fill this sanctuary with your presence and to transform our hearts and our minds and to grow this church into a more clearer reflection of your perfect love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let's jump right in. Longing for belonging. Um, being a bit of a word nerd and not knowing where to start, I kind of had this idea of a title for a message, but not quite the substance yet. So I went to Google myself and looked up a few definitions for longing and for belonging and put them together to come up with a working definition. So, longing for belonging, a yearning desire to be in the, in the hands of someone else, a hunger to be included in and connected to a group, or a craving to fit in and be accepted in a place. So this kind of longing, it goes deeper than a simple want or a need. It's kind of more of like a soul ache that may ebb and flow throughout life, but just won't ever fully go away. I work in a middle school, Ridley Middle School, actually, um, and that's 
Middle school is an age where very few kids are eager to wake up early, to listen to adults, or to exercise their brains through learning. So, every year on the first day of school, during our assembly, the leadership coaches kids to find their tribe, um, to find a team to play on, a club to join, a group of friends who share similar interests and values. Because when you have a group of people that you belong to, who know you and accept you, and who you enjoy being around and look forward to seeing every day, anything you do becomes a little bit more tolerable, even middle school. So, but what if you struggle to fit in? What if you feel like you don't belong anywhere? Maybe you've put yourself out there and been dumped or rejected. Maybe you thought you finally found belonging, and then out of nowhere you found yourself alone, abandoned, isolated. I'll go out on a limb here and say there are probably times, places, seasons that every one of us here in this room today has felt like a black sheep, like we're on the fringe of a group, looking on, not quite knowing the code to get in. Hurting, we might sulk off to a corner, alone and rejected. Angry, we might write off people and relationships altogether and tell ourselves we're better off alone anyway. And whether it's happened in your family, at school, with colleagues, between friends or lovers, abandonment hurts. Rejection stings. And isolation, it can breed toxic thoughts and feelings of resentment, distrust, and depression. Our bodies can even keep the score of these relational traumas in the form of headaches, gastrointestinal distress, chronic pain, and other physical symptoms. So needless to say, doing life alone is not good for our minds or our bodies. In the book of Genesis, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God knew from the very beginning that when humans try to do life on their own, they don't fare well. God's original plan was for people to do life together, walking with him and with one another in the garden, but because of sin and death, human relationships break. They fail and eventually come to an end. Satan does everything he can to drive people far from God and isolated from each other. But God, he was the first one to be trauma-informed. He was the first to practice restoration. Our scripture today, read by Lori, is a perfect snapshot of God's concern for those on the margins. Psalm 68 is God's plan to care for the ones who've been left alone and to restore them to a new place to belong. So Psalm 68 was written by King David, likely after a battle, probably sung during that famous joyful procession when the Israelites carried the Ark of the Covenant back into the kingdom, praising God for his victories. Um, we're going to read it again, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 68, um, we're going to begin in verse 4. And while you turn there, I'm just going to let you know that I'm going to take a few of the phrases from the NIV and also a few of the phrases from the ESV to kind of merge them together and give us a fuller picture of God's plan here. So Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides on the clouds, who rides through the desert. 
His name is the Lord, exult before him. Father of the fatherless and defender, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He places the lonely in a family. He leads out the prisoners with singing, the prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So take a moment to picture it. You can even close your eyes if you want, and I'm just going to kind of paint a little vision of what this might, look, might have looked like. Imagine a dry and desolate place. Homes are smoldering. Smoke is rising from huts that have been pillaged and raided in the battle. Soldiers are lying wounded and dying on the ground. You see women and children wandering the fields, searching for a lost husband or a lost father, or scrambling through the village, desperately trying to grab scraps of food or supplies before all is lost. Feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of doing life alone, all stability and security having been stripped away. Prisoners of war are being led in chains, hopelessly facing exile, slavery, or even execution. But wait, look up. What is that up in the clouds? Who is that riding through the desert? It's the Lord. Suddenly the mood changes, from despair to joy, from mourning to praise, for here comes the Lord. God himself will be a father to the orphans that have lost their daddies. God himself will defend and protect the women who've lost their husbands. But God doesn't stop there. He could have stopped there and simply provided for their needs all on his own. It would be easy for him. He is all-powerful. He can create anything out of nothing. He is a God of miracles. But no, he goes on to settle these women and children into new homes, to place them once again in a family. God chooses to provide a way of life for them by using his people to be a tangible form of support and comfort. Because God knows that it's not good to be alone. Life is more tolerable when we belong with others. Our burdens, they feel just a little bit lighter when we carry them together and making it that much easier to get back up and keep on walking. And the prisoners, God hasn't forgotten them. Instead of being led into exile or execution, God sets them free and leads them in a victory march. I know, that last phrase in verse 6, it's a sad note to end on. The rebellious dwell in a parched land. So the Lord came riding in and ready to rescue, freely offering a way out, he himself leading the prisoners, but God does not force his way on anyone. Some will refuse him, rebelling against his authority, resisting his protection, choosing to remain separate, saying, I don't need you, God. Don't come near me. I'm better off on my own, and the only one I can really trust is myself. Our psalmist David cautions that this kind of rebellion equals doom. In choosing to remain apart from God and his ways, one is doomed to remain in that desert place, to face life alone, and to struggle to survive in that dry and parched land. So if your eyes are still closed, you can open them now. So I've been reading and thinking about this psalm, 68, for months now. 
And before I went to Kenya, I took some time to jot down my notes and um, put some ideas onto my computer um, so that I wouldn't forget anything while I was away. But all the while, I wanted to stay open to what God would show me in Kenya and how my experiences there might change me and change the message I was going to share with you here today. So while in Kenya, I met Lydia. And Lydia was one of the university students that Corey and I worked with every day and with the Start With One Kenya team um, at the various sites where we were doing their projects. And every day we would have to hop in these vans and, and drive to these rural vill villages and chat would always encourage us to mix up with someone who's from Kenya, right? No one from America is supposed to sit with the people from America. No one from Kenya is supposed to sit with the people from Kenya. We're supposed to mix up together and get to know each other and um, get to know one another and our stories. So Lydia shared her story with me on one of these van rides. And I'm telling you that I couldn't have come up with a more literal example of Psalm 68 if I tried to. So I'm going to share her story with you here today. Lydia grew up in the Maasai tribe, and when she was about 15 years old and coming of age, her father decided it was time for her to marry. So he arranged her sale and told her that the plan was for her to be married at age 15 to a man who was probably about 50 years older than her. And she was not happy with these, this news. Um, she didn't want to get married yet, and she definitely didn't want to marry this man who was so much older than her. So she courageously voiced her objection to her mother and her father, and it didn't go so well. Um, Lydia was forced to flee on foot, beaten and alone, scared for her life. She ran three miles into the woods, probably farther than she had ever been from the only home she had ever known. So fatherless now in the wilderness, she was hopeless. She thought she was surely going to die out there. Um, she eventually made her way to a road, and along came a boda boda. And for those of you who don't know what a boda boda is, it's a motorcycle for hire, kind of like a taxi or an Uber here. And desperate to get a safe way, a safe distance from her tribe, she begged that driver for a ride. Even though she had no money, she didn't take the time to pack a bag. She has nothing to pay him. Um, and at first he refused, but he could see with his own eyes, that she was badly hurt and clearly upset, and eventually he relented and let her climb on, and they drove away. But Lydia wasn't out of the woods just yet, because although the Boda Boda driver carried her a safe distance away, she somehow ended up in the city of Gilgil. And for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with Kenya, Gilgil is a city at a crossroads, at a highway crossroads, um, it's a combination of both military bases and a truck stop. And so with so many men in the area, prostitutes are in high demand there. Um, being a young woman with no means to survive, Gilgil was probably the most dangerous place in Kenya for Lydia to end up, second only maybe to that immediate threat of her father's wrath. Um, I'm unsure how long Lydia spent in Gilgil or the depths to which she was driven in order to survive there, but I do know that God saw her, and he did not leave her nor forsake her. He made a way out for Lydia into the arms of Jane. So Corey, a couple weeks ago, shared with you during his talk back about Jane's safe house, 
Um, Jane runs an orphan, orphanage on the outskirts of Gilgil and hosts as many as 50 or so children on any given day, many of whom are a byproduct of this sex trafficking trade and the prostitution in that nearby city. Um, Jane, she brought Lydia in to a place where she would be safe and secure, giving her a roof over her head and a warm bed to sleep in. Jane brought Lydia in to a home where she would experience love and care, serving her hot tea and warm food to fill her belly. Jane brought Lydia in to a family in which she would be known and accepted and where Jane herself would show her that she is a child of God and that her heavenly father has been with her, protecting her along the way, and that he has a purpose and a plan for her life. So after a time, Lydia would go on from Jane's to be welcomed into Bill and Chat's home. Bill and Chat are the start with one Kenya um, CEOs, for lack of a better term. Um, they, run the, they run the show there. And Lydia would become part of their start with one Kenya family. And later, Lydia would be welcomed into a, a third home uh, with Bill and Chat's close friend, Grace. And that's the place where she now spends her time when she is on break from university, where she is studying hotel and restaurant management. So when Lydia shared her story with me, her answer for me is that God was her protection. He was the only reason she has come so far today. She still has hard days, and those tears still came quickly when she spoke of the home and the family to which she could never safely return. However, she knows that though she was once fatherless, literally, she has been seen and saved by her Heavenly Father. Once homeless, she now has a home in God's kingdom and has also been settled into not just one, but three loving homes with his people. So that's just like God, isn't it? When Corey told you that we saw God's word jumping off the page of our Bibles and coming to life, he wasn't exaggerating. Lydia's life is like a silver screen portrayal of Psalm 68, and living proof that God does not leave his children abandoned or alone. He leads them back to him and places them into a home, a family. And though Psalm 68 was written 14 generations before Jesus, God's design to be a father to orphans, a protector of widows, to place the lonely into families and settle the solitary into homes, it all comes to perfect fulfillment in Christ. So as humans, we're born first into an earthly family. But when we become followers of Jesus, we're born again into the family of God. The Lord becomes our Heavenly Father, and like Aaron told us, we become children of God. Jesus himself becomes our defense against sin and our protection from death. And under this new covenant, Christ's church is God's family in which he places his children. Christ's church is the home in which he settles them. So in the New Testament, in a letter to the Hebrews, Scripture tells us both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I'm going to read that again, just to make sure it sinks in. Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. 
So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is important. For those of us who follow Jesus, we share an eternal father. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. We are of the same family. So now that we're family, none of us have to long to belong anymore. Every aspect of that definition I shared with you earlier for longing for belonging, it finds its fulfillment right here. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you belong here because you're in the hands of the Lord. You belong here because you are connected with God's family. You belong here because you are accepted in his church. And one day, Christ will come again, riding on the clouds, just like he told us in this psalm, leading this, this family of God in a joyful procession into his kingdom once and for all. But until that day, we, as his family, are called to keep living according to God's design, to receive the lonely and the solitary into our home so that not one of his children is left alone. But how do we do it? Right? We don't own an orphanage, at least I don't. Um, I'm just a regular person here in America. So I just wanted to share with you another story about my friend Lisa, who lived her life this Psalm 68 way, and she showed me what it's like to belong as a child of God and in his church family and how God likes to use his people to be a part of transformation. So, some of you have been told the story or seen the picture of how I embraced the forlorn widow when I was in Kenya and let Jesus use my arms to speak love into her heart. But I'll tell you today that I was only able to comfort her in her time of need because of the comfort I first received from Lisa. My relationship with Lisa started with a hug just like that one. The Holy Spirit was bringing to light a dark moment from my past, and Lisa saw me in my pain, and she drew me into her arm. Lisa knew the power of a good hug. When my tears came, she didn't shrink away. She lingered with me, in a full-on embrace until that hug did its work. Didn't think this was going to happen, sorry. <laughs> and my body relaxed. So, when I offered my arms to that widow in Kenya, Maureen, I was surrendered to the realization that that hug and a prayer were all I had to give to her in that moment. And the team encouraged me that that was enough. I remembered Lisa and the blessing she was to me so that I, in turn, could be a blessing to Maureen. All right, moving on. <laughs> but that hug was just the beginning for me and Lisa. Even though I had living parents and siblings, I had a home of my own with a loving husband and children. So, technically, I was neither a widow nor an orphan. But Lisa saw that I was hurting, and she made it a habit to meet with me. First at a diner, talking, praying, studying God's Word together, then inviting me to serve and lead alongside her in church ministry. 
One summer, she even made me her co-pilot in a 15-passenger van, went on a mission trip to the Bronx. And when we started attending separate churches and her health took a turn for the worse, she continued to invite me into her home and not to entertain me with a Martha Stewart meal in an HGTV-style home, but simply to be with her, to do whatever it was that she was doing that day. I often referred to her as my spiritual mother, but over time, we became more like sisters. Lisa shared God's care and concern for people on the fringes. She didn't shrink away from others in her struggles. She kept her heart, her arms, and the door to her, her home always wide open. It was not uncommon for her to have someone sleeping in her basement or on her sofa. And when she went out, whether it was to the grocery store or on a mission trip, she always invited another to join her. Lisa made it a daily habit to receive others into her family, into God's family, to do life together. So some of you, you do life this way too. You have open hands ready to share with others. Your home has an open door, ready to welcome others in. You don't mind having your plans interrupted, and you're delighted to offer a cool drink or a hot cup of coffee or tea, maybe your couch to crash on for a night or a guest room to stay in for a season. You live with open hands and an open heart, ready to embrace someone who's hurting, and your home is both a soft place to land and a firm base from which to launch out from. Well done. Seriously, well done. Keep on doing it all the more. Keep on loving more people more. But for those of us for whom, for whom it doesn't come quite so natural, for whom interruptions often feel more like an intrusion, and for whom interaction can leave us exhausted and maybe even irritable, you might be thinking, it's great for them, but it's not for me. Um, and I'm just going to go so far as to challenge you to think about this. If you're struggling to love on others like this, perhaps you haven't yet experienced the kind of belonging that I'm talking about today. It's been said, you cannot give what you do not possess. And maybe, just maybe, you haven't let yourself be loved on by the Father in heaven and the brothers and sisters right here that he has placed around you. Maybe, today, your first step is to trust God at his word, to let your walls come down, and to truly be known, and to step in the embrace and acceptance of this church family. Do it scared if you have to, because it's good for us to be together. So, those of you who do know the love of the Father, and who have experienced the love of his family, hopefully you are recognizing that there is wisdom here. There is value in doing life together. And maybe you're wondering, what do I have to offer? How do I even start? And I'll tell you what, the most powerful thing you can do is to share yourself and share your Savior. And I have a tool to leave you with 
to help you to remember how to do this, to swap out your natural automatic response for the Psalm 68 way of life. Swap. S-W-A-P. All right, so try and picture those letters. Sit with another and pray. Swap. So instead of doing life in your usual, safe, comfortable, controlled, and tidy manner, choose to be intentional about both extending and receiving invitations to connect with others around you, especially someone on the margins who's hurting, lonely, isolated, who's longing to belong. It could be someone here in this church, someone in your neighborhood, maybe at your school or at your work. Show up in their life. Make it a priori, priority to sit with another, offering them your full attention and the comfort of your presence, ideally in the comfort of your own home. Because let's be honest, are we ever fully at home with one another until we've been in the homes of each other? And when something comes up that you know you cannot handle, a need that you know you cannot meet, Pray. That last letter, pray. It's not sit with another and perform. It's not sit with another and pontificate. Um, And it's not sit with another and pretend that everything's all right. Swap is sit with another and pray. Model what it looks like to depend on God to provide and protect. Pray that God would reveal the next step to take. Pray that God would put additional people in your lives to help. Your actions will demonstrate care and concern, and your prayers will point them to their Heavenly Father who cares even more. So like God showed up in Psalm Psalm 68 in the desert to demonstrate his loving kindness to the survivors of battle, and like Jesus showed up in the New Testament He showed up on earth to demonstrate his loving kindness to both Israelites and Gentiles. You can choose to show up and demonstrate God's loving kindness with one another. Swap. Sit with another and pray. So that even just one more person won't have to face life on their own. Will it be easy? No. But with Jesus in us, we can love one another with a love that can only be explained as supernatural. And I can promise you, it will get messy. And you will want to quit. And that's when you need to lean back into God, because he's your father too. That's when you need to reach out to us, because we are your family too. So this Psalm 68 way of life, it's worth it. We are better together. When we take care of each other, people don't just survive, they thrive. God's plan is for his children to do life together as a family. God's design is for us to belong together. So, instead of floundering alone, let's flourish together. Instead of crying out in despair alone, let's lift each other in prayer together. Instead of staying shackled in our wilderness alone, let's follow God out to freedom, singing in praise together. Others might look at us and see this strange, weird family, a bunch of people whose paths 
probably never would have crossed until God put us together. Sometimes awkwardly, but always persistently loving each other. And they might wonder about this, the source of this strange kind of love. And I'll be the first to tell you, a love like this can only be from God. A family like this, it can only be God's doing. And belonging like this can only be God's design. And one day, one day, they might just find the belonging that they've been longing for here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, being here with me as I give this message that you've put on my heart. I pray that the words that I've shared have settled into the heart of your people here in this room today. I thank you that you are growing the connections between us, your children, and you, our Heavenly Father, stronger every day. And I pray that you continue to grow the bonds between us as brothers and sisters as well. As we leave here today, I just um, pray that you show us how we can love more people more and to be a home for those who are isolated and a family for those who are lonely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.